Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Hello and happy Monday, faithful listener. I'm so excited that you tuned into this podcast to discuss the scriptures with me as you share a cup of coffee with me. So let's go ahead and read Numbers chapter five and finish this out. This is going to be talking about the jealousy law, which is really interesting. And I'm just really excited to start talking about this. So I'm going to be actually reading out of the NLT version today. And the main reason for that is normally I read out of the WEB version, but the WEB was so wordy with this particular portion that it's going to take me like 10 minutes just to read (laughs) out loud. So I decided to switch over to the NLT, which is much less wordy and also probably a little bit easier to understand for everybody. So let's go ahead and talk about Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. So grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea or whatever else you're drinking, and let's go ahead and read this out of the NLT version this morning. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself, even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. The priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water in a clay jar and pour into it dust he has taken from the tabernacle floor. When the priest has presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbind her hair and place in her hands the offering of proof, the jealousy offering to determine whether her husband's suspicions are justified. The priest will stand before her, holding the jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty. The priest will then put the woman under the oath and say to her, If no other man has had sex with you, and you have not gone astray and not defiled yourself while under your husband's authority, may you be immune from the effects of this bitter water that brings on the curse. But if you have gone astray by being unfaithful to your husband and have defiled yourself by having sex with another man, at this point the priest must put the woman under an oath by saying may the people know that the lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile causing your womb to shrivel and your abdomen to swell now may this water that brings the curse enter your body and cause your abdomen to swell and your womb to shrivel and the woman will be required to say yes let it be so and the priest will write these curses on a piece of leather and wash them off into the bitter water He will make the woman drink the bitter water that brings on the curse. When the water enters her body, it will cause bitter suffering if she is guilty. The priest will take the jealousy offering from the woman's hands and lift it up before the Lord and carry it to the altar. He will take a handful of the flour as a token portion and burn it on the altar, and he will require the woman to drink the water. If she has defiled herself by being unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings on the curse will cause bitter suffering. Her abdomen will swell and her womb will shrink, and her name will become a curse among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is pure, then she will be unharmed and will still be able to have children. This is the ritual law for dealing with suspicion. If a woman goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority, 
Or if a man becomes jealous and is suspicious that his wife has been unfaithful, the husband must present his wife before the Lord, and the priest will apply this entire ritual law to her. The husband will be innocent of any guilt in this matter, but his wife will be held accountable for her sin. This is another one where people just don't like it (laughs) because it's applying to women and not to men. It's pretty clear that this is directed at the woman completely. So when looking at passages like this, I think the first and foremost thing that we have to remember is something that I actually talked about on Friday. God met people where they were. Back in these days, women had almost no rights whatsoever as human beings. They were considered almost a commodity for men. And men would have a lot of wives. But God made it pretty clear that the Israeli men were supposed to live differently. One of the things I found out while researching this was throughout all of the ancient culture, women were almost never considered to have many rights. And a man could divorce his wife over literally anything. And unfortunately, that rule still continued on until the time of Jesus. And then Jesus basically did away with that, where he was like, no, you don't divorce your wife over just anything. You don't do it. Because the Pharisees, some of them, there were like two different uh, types of Pharisees. I can't remember. It was like the a different sect of Pharisee that believed that they could divorce their wife over literally anything. Like if she burned his meal at breakfast, he could divorce her. And Jesus was like, yeah, that's not how this works. You don't divorce your wife over anything. But back in the ancient days, a woman, if she was suspected to be unfaithful, could be killed, even if there was literally no proof that that woman had had sex outside of her marriage. She could just be killed if there was any kind of suspicion whatsoever, or if that husband didn't really like her very much. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, The Stoning of Soraya M. And it's talking about a woman who... This husband just did not want her anymore. He wanted a newer wife. So he says that she was unfaithful in their marriage. And what ended up happening was she got stoned at the end of the movie. That was literally how it ended, was she got stoned. It was a really heart-wrenching movie, but very, very interesting and kind of showed some cultural differences. And I think that is kind of what would happen back in these days. If a woman was under any kind of suspicion at all, she could just be killed. There was actually a Babylonian law. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a law in Babylon that said that if a woman was considered to have had sex with another man, she would have to jump into the river (laughs) and basically drown herself on behalf of her husband. Like that was the law. I don't know how often it was carried out. It probably regularly often. I I mean, I don't know for sure, but even so, that was kind of how women were treated back in these days. So God is meeting the people where they're at, but he's saying, you don't treat your wife like that. You don't just decide that she is guilty when there is no evidence that she is guilty. So God gives this law, this law called a jealousy offering, where if a husband is jealous. He decides that his wife is unfaithful, and she might be, or she might not be. It, it doesn't really matter at this point. 
but he just decides that he's jealous. God says that at that point, the man is supposed to bring his wife before the priest. He is not supposed to do anything himself. He is supposed to bring his wife to the priest and the priest will handle it from there. The man would also have to bring an offering for the woman to hold out to the priest. And this would be a jealousy offering. And it was two quarts of barley flour. So this woman would be holding this flour in her hands. And this would be the offering of jealousy. So at this point, the priest would do the ceremony. He would take some water and he would take some dirt from the temple floor, which we know that everything inside the temple was considered to be very, very holy. So he'd take a little bit of dirt and he would just sprinkle it in the water. Then he would have the woman take down her hair, which was a sign of mourning back in these days. So the woman was basically in mourning at this point. He would have her take down her hair and then he would have her do an oath while drinking this water. And so he will say to the woman, if you have defiled your marriage, which by the way, the word specifically says under your husband's authority. This is pretty clear that it's talking about the marriage relationship. And there's other verses strewn throughout the uh, prophets that kind of talk about playing the prostitute, playing the harlot under the marriage relationship. There's a couple verses, I think, that mention that in Hosea that that kind of mirror this verse right here, verse 19. So this woman under the marriage relationship, if she did, in fact, have sex with another guy outside of marriage, she would have to drink the water and then the water would show if she was guilty or not. What I'm really getting at when I'm talking to you guys about this was this is a protection back in these days. A man just couldn't do whatever he wanted with his wife. God was making it pretty difficult for husbands to just divorce their wives. He made it very difficult, actually. And Jesus made it even more difficult <laughs> later on as the rules kept getting twisted and twisted and twisted. Jesus was like, yeah, you just don't divorce your wives. Like, just just don't do it. It's very clear that God made that union between the husband and the wife. Even though this particular part is talking only about women, when I read this on Enduring Word, David Guzik, who was actually on this podcast before, claims that this could also apply to the man. If a woman was jealous of her husband, she could take him and have the same uh, ceremony done to this guy, like with the drinking of the water and the oath and everything. For me, I don't know how much I believe that because it's all pronouns to talk about just the wife. But I mean, maybe it could go both ways. I don't, I mean, God is not a respecter of persons. That's what the Bible says. Basically, that means God doesn't play any favorites. Men and women in his eyes are equal. I can imagine that uh, God would be okay if a woman did bring her husband to uh, do this same kind of ceremony if she was jealous or thought that he was out doing something. But like I said, I don't know how often that would have been done. And plus, men don't have wombs, <laughs> which talk about this later on. It says that if the woman was not guilty, her womb would just function as normal. Men don't have wombs. So I do think that this is really just talking about a man becoming very jealous over his wife, basically. But a man just deciding that his wife was guilty of this he didn't have any foundation to do anything to her. Rather, he had to just take her to the priest and let 
the priest handle it at this point. And this was a protection where God was like, okay, your wife is not just an object that you can throw away whenever you want and claim that she is just guilty of cheating on you. So God was pretty clear that a woman was to be protected until she was proven guilty. That was what this was, innocent until proven guilty. Now, the technical term for what this trial really was is it's actually called a trial by ordeal. And if you've ever heard that term before, you'll think of the Salem witch trials. (laughs) (laughs) where they did trials of ordeal. And that was when they would like uh, put the woman, like bind her up and like put her, like throw her in the water. And if she miraculously floated, she was innocent. But the difference between that kind of like superstitious trial by ordeal that uh, happened with the Salem witch trials and this particular trial by ordeal is the fact that this wasn't superstitious. This was something that God directly said he was going to take care of. The woman was not in any danger whatsoever. Sure, she'd have to drink some dirt water, but <laughs> but it wouldn't make her sick unless she was guilty. So it wasn't, oh, she has to miraculously survive this situation, which is basically all other trial of ordeals. This one was, she will get sick if she is guilty. And once again, that's just innocent until proven guilty. And she would be proven guilty by God. There's so many interesting things about this particular uh, portion of scripture. Another thing that I found out is people actually believe that God caused an abortion here when he gave this woman this water to drink. If she was guilty, she would have an abortion or like a, a miscarriage is what I should say. Because God would cause her her belly to swell and then her womb would shrink. It doesn't say anywhere, anywhere in Numbers chapter five that this is talking about an abortion or a pregnancy of any kind whatsoever. It's just the fact that this woman would no longer be able to have children. There's no miscarriages happening here. So that's something I wanted to kind of throw out there that this is not God causing an abortion because this is not there's no evidence of that anywhere in Numbers chapter five. But what it does say is that this woman, after she drinks the water and takes the oath, if she is guilty, her womb will shrivel. And I don't know about you, but that just sounds like she won't be able to have kids anymore. But it also says there's going to be a physical response to this. Her her uh, her stomach will actually swell. So it's not just that she won't be able to have kids because it could be that this woman was infertile already. There will be an actual physical response that you can see, that the husband will be able to see, and that will be her stomach will grow, like her her abdomen will swell, and it won't be because she is pregnant. It's just because God is showing that she is guilty. But if she's not guilty, nothing will happen with her. And that's what a trial of ordeal means. That just means that God is showing whether or not somebody is innocent or guilty. So in the end, this is just something to help women who were in ancient Middle Eastern culture. This was a way to help women not be abused any longer for something that they did not do. And if they did do it, then sure, God was going to prove them to be guilty. But this was a whole new way of thinking for everybody here. This was a way of thinking, oh, women are human beings. Women have rights. And God was placing value on the woman If you look at it with those kinds of eyes, instead of looking at it as, oh, well, why didn't God, you know, just say right out that women 
are equal. Well, because that would have gone downhill really fast. I mean, <laughs> think about the craziness of, of women's rights nowadays. And women start elevating themselves above the man because they believe that they can now. So you have to remember that God did things perfectly. He met people where they were. And he still does this to this day. He meets us where we are now. We're definitely not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We can't be perfect. But God desires our hearts. He desires us where we are culturally right now. God often uses and talks through cultural things. All throughout scripture, he does that. Jesus blended into the culture of the Israelites at that time period while getting rid of the the crap of the culture. But he did blend into that. And God often does that. He uses our culture to talk with us and to work with us. And he just meets us where we are. So even though now this law looks like God does not like women or this law looks like it's so primitive, think about where these people were. This was ancient Middle Eastern culture against women. And God was showing that women are valuable. Well, faithful listener, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, share it on your social media platforms and also go over to the YouTube channel because I'm trying to build the YouTube channel up the P40 Ministries LLC YouTube channel. So if you would go over there and subscribe, I am hoping soon to begin recording some videos to put onto YouTube. I do have a lot of my early podcast episodes over there. So if you actually missed some of the early podcast episodes, you can go over and check them out on YouTube. So if you want to hear those, go over to the YouTube channel. I'll drop a link to that in the bio of this podcast episode. But you know what? I just hope you guys are blessed. And if you ever have any questions, prayer requests, anything at all, contact me at p40ministries.com slash contact. I love hearing from you. I just love it. So contact me and tell me how your day is going. But I want you to have a fantastic rest of your week. And I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning for an episode out of Luke. Until then, happy listening and say it with me. God bless. Oh.